uh, before we get into the text of the story today, um, I'm coming, coming to this uh, message off of a week in which I've felt very many things. <laughs> I've felt many things. Um, and, and it's always hard when speaking in a situation like this. It's hard, it, it, it's hard when something like the debate that happened on Tuesday night, when something like that happens in the week before you speak, something that's just culturally significant like that. It's, it's hard to know when I get into this, when I step into this role, it's hard to know, do I just pretend that didn't happen or do I bring it up and risk being super distracting about that? Or what, what do you do? It's just, it's hard. Uh, I, some of you have heard me quote this before, but Carl Bart uh, was a theologian who was known to say, you should preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Like what we talk about, when we get when we gather like this, it should have something to do with the world. So don't worry, I'm not going to say much more about that, but I want to do at least name that and acknowledge that. And and what I, one thing I do want to say about all this is that I felt, well, really, I think I felt depressed after that debate. Um, I was in a very, very low emotional place. And I think one of my overriding feelings was feeling like I had watched the kingdoms of man, the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms that humans run on full display. And um, I think maybe a lot of us felt that. And my, I had a long, a, a deep, deep sense of longing for a different kingdom to break through all of those kingdoms. I had a deep longing for that. I thought, God, when will... As as Isaiah says, the, the passage in Isaiah says, like, will you just rip open the heavens, you know, rip it open and uh, give us something different. Um, and so I, I actually wanted to start there because that's kind of the emotional place that I'm coming from. But also it actually connects to the story that we're going to look at, I think, um, because what we're looking at in Acts, we're moving into chapter three today. Um, what we're looking at in Acts, big picture is the story of God's God's kingdom, not not man's kingdoms, right? But God's kingdom. We're, we're looking at a story of how what happens when God's kingdom breaks through what human kingdoms are up to, right? Uh, human kingdoms, man man centric kingdoms, man run kingdoms don't want God's kingdom to to disrupt them, right? That's what I that's what I believe. That's one thing that I think is very true about scripture. And so what we see in Acts is the growth of God's kingdom disrupting all the man kingdoms <laughs> around it. All the human kingdoms uh, get thoroughly disrupted as stuff starts to unfold in Acts. So um, if the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if the Gospels are about the kingdom of God being launched and started and announced and proclaimed, if they're about the launching of that kingdom, then Acts is what happens as the kingdom grows and expands past the launching, right? Acts is about the continued unfolding of that kingdom. And uh, we, we, as we go further into the book of Acts, we're going to keep pressing further into what this looks like and what this means. And we're going to see more and more about what this means. And so I really liked Ethan's image of the hinge, uh, the hinge of history. If you were here, he had that board that he held up. And um, so I, I'm picturing, I've been picturing this week, like we're going, we're getting a little further into the hinge, you know, and this hinge, I, I like that image he had of, of literally the entire timeline of the world folds around that, right? I mean, it is disruptive. It's a completely new disruptive reality 
when what God wants to see happen starts happening, which is the kingdom. Uh, and so we're pressing further and further into that. And so it's, in that sense, it's really exciting. And in that sense, I found, I found myself after the, the, the events of this past week, I found myself longing more and more to experience that kingdom, that disrupting kingdom presence of God. I just wanted to experience that and live in that more and more and more. Um, and so um, I would call us to that this morning. And that's really the theme. This, the theme today, as we're going to talk about chapter three briefly, is this, this idea of disruption and explanation. Uh, those are kind of two key words I'm using as we talk about this. Disruption, explanation. Something gets disrupt, disrupted, uh, and then we have the opportunity to explain that. Um, and that's very much what we see happening in this chapter. Because when God's kingdom, as I said, when God's kingdom breaks into our human-led kingdoms, they, 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 they get disrupted. They get shaken up. God's kingdom does not just let them operate as they, as they were. When God breaks into your life, when God breaks into your, your family, when God breaks into your workplace, whatever it does, it cannot keep going the way it was. It can't. Um, and we see that on a big scale in Acts. But as we live into that disruption, I call it a holy disruption. When God's, when God's way breaks apart the way we expect, it's a holy disruption. It's, 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 a, it's a, sh- a shattering of what we thought. Um, we also have the opportunity to explain that, <laughs> right? Because as those disruptions happen, those of us living and seeking to live in God's, God's kingdom, God's way, have the opportunity to explain what just happened to the world that's watching. So that's, that's the theme today. Disruption, explanation, disruption, explanation. I'm going to keep coming back to that. Um, so let me, after that intro, uh, let, me, let me pray for this time. Let's pray with me. Lord, I pray for your spirit. I pray for a, not just that your spirit would somehow be summoned here, but I pray that we'd pay attention. I pray that we'd pay attention to your spirit and to what you're already doing in our midst and amongst us. And Lord, I pray that this text from this book of Acts would, you would use it powerfully in our community this morning this afternoon. <laughs> Amen. That is tricky, Scott. You're right. Uh, all right. So what we're going to look at, we're going to look at chapter three. Go ahead and um, go to it if you want. We're not going to read uh, the whole thing. Um, actually, I probably won't read much of it because Betsy already read the section I want to focus on. But we're going, we're going to look at, in this chapter, the first event, the first happening, <laughs> the first event in the book that comes after the event known as Pentecost, which Jordan talked about last week. So if you were here, or if you heard that sermon, uh, that event was mass, a mass, talk about disruption, disrupting, right? Like that was a massive disruption. Pentecost, the spirit descended on the people. Um, everyone was speaking and hearing different languages. I mean, it was this huge, huge change. And this is, the, importantly, that's a really important backdrop for some of the things I'm going to say, because what we're going to look at is we're going to now look at the first thing that happened after that event. So that event happened. This new community was formed. People were sharing their resources. Everyone had what they needed. And we're going to look at the first thing that happens coming out of that brand new community, which is in chapter three. And this chapter is broken up into uh, two sections, basically. There's the first section, which tells about what happened with the healing of this man at the temple which is the disruption, the disrupting event. And then uh, the rest of the chapter is Peter's speech, Peter's explanation to the people that were watching what just took place. And so I want to talk about the chapter in those, in those two sections. Um, 
So I, I, even though we already read it, I'm going to go ahead and read the first section of chapter three again, um, just the first 10 verses. So follow along with me or just close your eyes and listen if you'd rather do that. But I'm reading out of the NIV. Pay attention to the details of the story. One day, this is after Pentecost, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I'm going to pause there. I want to make some observations on this short short story, this short event. So first, Peter and John were going to the temple um, about their normal business, right? They were going to the temple to pray. Uh, They apparently were still doing all the normal Jewish routines, you know? Uh, they were still participating in the Jewish community. They were still going to the temple. They were still doing what, uh, what you'd expect, normal patterns and routines. And this is important for a few reasons. Um, but one thing I want to bring out is that they had presumably been doing this, right? There's no reason to think this was suddenly a new habit. They had been going to the temple every day before this still. But something is different about this day. And I think, I want to contend that the something that is different is the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. This is something different. That this normal routine that they had been going on about walking up these steps to go into this temple to pray, they are now walking with the Holy Spirit. And as Jordan said last week, challenged us to pray, make me acutely aware of your presence, of what you're doing. I think they were acutely aware of their surroundings that day. It was something different. And as a result, they noticed this man. Think about this. This is fascinating. It says in the text that man was brought there every single day. Think about this. The man was brought there every day. They have been going every day to pray. They have walked past this man before, right? Peter and John have walked past this man before, but they notice him in a new way today. And I think this is sign number one of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives in this text. The Holy Spirit makes them aware of an other someone who is a marginal presence, someone who has been on the edges, someone that maybe they did or did not even notice before, but who was still there. They notice him. They see him. And not just see him, but they see him as a person with dignity. And this comes out in the next few verses because it says they look at him. These verses, I mean, one one thing I always say, like the writers of ancient scripture do not waste words Paper was too expensive, literally, to waste words. So every word is there by choice and intentionally. And this, is, this has made me emotional this week thinking about this. 
these, this short little exchange, when they stop and they look at this man, it says very clearly, both of them looked at him. And he asked them for money. And Peter says, look at us. That is an important exchange. They were not happy to let him head down, probably out of shame, probably out of hiding, probably out of, I don't deserve this. I don't know, but, but this man is holding his, holding his arm up, not even looking at the people for, from whom he is asking for money. How much, and it says he was lame from birth. I mean, how much internalized shame has this man, uh, well, internalized? How, how much of this has, has he gone through day after day of asking for money to live? He can't even look at the people in the eye for whom, from whom he is asking for money. But Peter and John stop. They look at him, and they aren't content to just stop and look at him, but they actually command him to look at them. This eye-to-eye contact is significant. This is a detail we should not gloss over. This eye-to-eye contact is really, I think, humanizing and dignifying this man on the steps, this lame man from birth on the steps of the temple, while other good religious people are walking around and going about their business, right? So the Holy Spirit, I'm really convinced that the Holy Spirit humanizes other people. When, when we are acutely aware, as Jordan said last week, when we are acutely aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we see other people as dignified, God's image-bearing humans. Even if they have different politics from you, <laughs> even if they are uh, begging for money on the street, even if they are of a different culture, speak a different language, confu- if they are confusing to you, whoever they are, when, the Holy, when you are aware of the Holy Spirit's work and presence in your life, you see them as an equally dignified, image-bearing, imago Dei-bearing human, just like you. This is the first sign, I think, in this event right after Pentecost of the disrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's significant. It's happening on the steps of the religious establishment, right? And I think this is so important for us right now. How much do we need to humanize other people, right? People that the world's systems wants to make enemies. Again, this was all on display Tuesday night. So, Peter and John, aware of the Holy Spirit, aware of this man as a dignified human, look him in the eye. He looks them in the eye. Uh, Peter reaches out. He says, I don't have gold or silver. I, part of me wondered when I read that. I was like, is that because it's all back in the community pot, you know, <laughs> back at uh, the end of chapter two? I don't know. But he offers him his hand, another dignifying gesture, right? Something that Jesus did a lot in his ministry. He offered him his hand and pulls him up and says, be healed. And I'm not going to say a ton about this, the healing exchange here, the healing encounter, but I will say, I will say, well, what will I say? I'm trying to choose my words. I want to live and expect healings like this. I want to live in such a way that I expect these things to happen. I think it's tempting to look at this story or stories like this, especially in our kind of modern day, science-drenched day, and to say, oh, well, that just happened back then. Um, And I just want to say that I want to live in a way that expects things like this to happen. And I, I believe I have seen healings. I don't know what to do with that, Honestly, I don't know what to do with that, but I believe that I've been present for people being healed in prayer. I think that I've seen that. I think it's genuine. I've known too many people that I respect who have been through these encounters um, that I really think it happens. Um, and 
I want us to, I would love for us as a community to, to, to expectantly hope for things like this, for healings like this. So that's all I'm going to say, I think, about that actual, the actual healing itself. But the man is healed. He is brought into the temple, joyfully praising. Of course he was joyful. I mean, he's lame from birth. He's healed. He's walking for the first time. That's also a detail you need to let sink in as you're thinking about this story, right? Like this man is, we don't know how old he was, but he's walking for the first time. There was, um, at my church growing up, my dad was a pastor and there was a woman um, who, she had had a stroke when she was young and she always, her walking was significantly um, hindered. And I just remember thinking like, I don't remember if it was a sermon or something sparked my imagination one day where I thought, oh my gosh, what would it be like to see Teresa get up out of her chair and run around? You know, maybe you can think of people in your life like that who have been uh, physically hindered in some way, but to see them experience healing and freedom in that way, that's what this man was going through. It was joyful. It was disrupting. It's another disruption, right? In the middle of the temple, in the somber religious space, he is dancing around because he's been healed and he's shaking things up. I mean, this whole scene is really disrupting. It's a, joy, it's a joyful, holy disruption. So I think what, what we can start to pull out of this short, these short 10 verses, this short exchange, the short interaction, is that when the Spirit moves through a community in a powerful way, when it moves through a people, then other people are seen, people on the margins especially, people, overlooked people, undervalued people are seen, they are dignified, they are healed, they are made whole, they are included, and the world as a result is profoundly disrupted. This is not how the world would function on its own, right? The world would rather have us continue to other and split and divide and call and, and overlook, make enemies, right? That's how the world would rather us function, but the this, this spirit, God's kingdom, does not function that way, and the spirit, when it fills a community, starts pushing back. And I think that's what we're seeing in Acts 3. And by the way, this little exchange, this is all still happening within the Jewish kind of world, the Jewish culture. This little disruption of this, this man being healed and included and disrupting the temple, this is a foreshadowing of much bigger, much bigger convulsive disruptions that are going to happen in the rest of Acts. I mean, we haven't even touched the idea of like Gentiles being included into all this, right? Like this is all disrupting, disrupting the way the world works. Um, but this is, this is a foreshadowing, I think, of a pattern that starts to happen. So this man is healed. He's brought into the temple. He's jumping around. He's praising God. People are flocking around. They start to recognize him and say, wait a minute. And by the way, think about this. What if you are one of the good religious Jewish people who has walked into the temple? You just walked right past this guy. Maybe you didn't give him any money. <laughs> right? You just walked past him. And then these other guys bring him in and he's jumping around. This is the very real experience of what's happening to these people. They're seeing this. And so, and here is where, this is the disruption, and here is where we hit the rest of the chapter, which is Peter's explanation for it. I'm not going to read that. Time doesn't allow for a full read and a full deep dive into uh, Peter's response to this situation. I would really encourage you to read this on your own, maybe today or this week. Read the rest of chapter 3 and meditate on that. Um, because there's a lot, a lot in Peter's explanation and kind of what Peter's doing is he's interpreting the moment for people. Um, he's interpreting this um, so that they can understand what just happened. But I do want to make a few comments about it, a few comments about what he says. Uh, first, 
Peter, this is basically what he did in chapter two, by the way, when Pentecost happened, as Jordan talked about, Pentecost happened, and then Peter stands up and explains it to the crowd. He's kind of doing the same thing in this moment. Well, first thing I want to say is that Peter locates what happened squarely in the power of Jesus through the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He names all of that. So this is not, um, what Peter's pointing out is he's, it, this is not a vague spiritual experience, right? This is not a vague sense of God or the divine. Uh, he says, nope, this is happening through this man, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like this is a specific named source of this healing. Faith and trust in the name, the, the name of Jesus with that specificity, that faith and trust has power. And holds disruptive power in our society. So for, that's the first thing. He's, he's talking about a specific God with a specific history. And by the way, it's in the temple to that God. <laughs> right? Don't forget that. We're in Jerusalem, in the temple, to the God who led the Jews out of Egypt. And this is, this is what he's saying. He's like, this faith in this man, in this God, is what healed, is what healed this lame man. Um, two. He speaks very boldly. If you read if you read Peter's speech, he spoke he speaks boldly and he speaks about um, the complicity of the people standing in that temple in the death of Jesus. This is another this is another thing I want to pause us on for a second and like think about this just for a second. Don't gloss over this. Think about this. He's standing in the courts of the temple, talking to these people. He is standing in a place where weeks before this Jesus was standing. Right. Jesus himself was in this place, and the people in this place now are probably the same people who were demanding his crucifixion. Well, actually, they are, because he directly says, you are the ones who killed him. Peter says to them, you killed the author of life. He's in the middle of the temple, right after this guy's been jumping around and praising, saying to the crowd, yeah, remember Jesus? You killed him, and it's through him that this guy is healed that you see whole before you. This is bold. This is a bold proclamation. It makes me really uncomfortable as a conflict-averse person. Um, he says, you disowned the righteous one. And it's, again, this is not vague or abstract. I mean, the righteous one he's talking about was standing in that place a few weeks before this. You disowned him and you killed the author of life. So Peter locates this in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's specific. It's clear. He boldly calls out. He boldly calls out the people participating in this religious system for complying to kill the author of life. He calls them out on it. It's bold. And then three. This is crucial. This is crucial. Very crucial. He invites repentance. Right. He doesn't just go on a screed or a tirade and beat them up. Rather, I think what happens is he's boldly and confidently proclaiming, this is what happened. This man is healed through the power of the Son of God, whom you killed, you rejected, but you have an opportunity right now in this moment to repent of that way of thinking. There's an opportunity of grace in it for these people who are watching. He's pointing out, you lived in this reality. Like you, you were in this system, this way of thinking, this way of approaching the world. You were living in that, and you've been so deluded by that that you killed the very author of life. You killed the very one who can bring healing. 
But you, you can convert out of that. You can repent. Repent means to change your thinking, to change your whole direction. And that's, that is what he is inviting them to. Like, change your whole way of thinking about the world. Uh, change your whole way of thinking and repent and be part of this new kingdom. Be part of this new thing that's happening. Verse 17, he says, I know you acted in ignorance, right? You killed the author of life, but I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. This is what he says to them. This is amazing. He is standing in the temple, right? This is like, this would be like standing on, I don't know, the lawn of the White House or the Lincoln Memorial, like this, the nucleus of kind of power at the time, right? He's standing in the, the center saying to all the people who were there, you acted in ignorance. You were totally deluded, but you have an opportunity to leave that ignorance now. You have an opportunity to change. You have an opportunity to be new, to be renewed. And that, that offer is so important. That's so important. As we seek, I believe, as we seek to be kingdom people, people that follow the way, as the book of Acts calls it, people that follow Christ, people that want to bring the fragrance of Christ and the Holy Spirit into a world that needs it, as we seek to be those people, looking at, looking at how Peter modeled this is so encouraging, I think. Because he confidently walked into a disrupting moment and then confidently explained, this is because of Jesus and you have an opportunity to be part of it. I mean, that's it in a nutshell, <laughs> right? And I think, I look at that and I think, I want to walk in that. I want us as a community and a family to live and walk and be in that. I want us to be so soaked in grace and love and the confidence that comes from knowing we follow the author of life. That as we walk about this world that is a, that is a world soaked in death, really, again, I, I, that was the overwhelming sense I had this week was that just there was so much, so much death, really, spiritual death. As we walk in that world, we have the opportunity to bring the author of life to it, to disrupt it and to explain it and to be part of renewal and to invite people in, to invite genuine repentance. I know that repentance is a religiously, like, has a lot of religious baggage around it, and I get that, but I don't want to lose that word either because it really means change. It's, it's not just beating up and condemning. It actually means an invitation to change, an invitation to newness. And that's what Peter is offering these people in the temple as they see this man who has been made whole. Um, in verse 16, by the way, in this, there's, there's a small phrase about his healing. The, the phrase there, it, it doesn't just mean his feet were healed or his legs were healed. It means he was like, the Greek there is getting at this, like this whole renewal. Like he has been made new. He's a new person now. Um, and so he's really holding out this invitation that like everyone watching, you can, be, you can be part of this too. You can be new too. And we'll see in chapter four that a lot of people did, become part of the family after this, part of the community after this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with a few more words on disruption and explanation. Because I think, it's, I think it's really important. This has been on my mind and my heart this week. I think it's really important for us to hold these two things together, the disrupting presence of God and uh, the confidence to explain it. Because if you, if you can picture it on, a, on like a scale, you know, there's like two, uh, two ends. And on one end, if you have a lot of disruption without ex- any explanation, what is that? That's just confusing, right? <laughs> um, just like disrupting things, calling things out, confusing people. Um, 
But on the other hand, and if I'm honest, I think I lean in this direction, and I think maybe we as a community might lean in this direction, in our culture especially. On the other hand, if you have a lot of explanation without any disrupting power, that's not compelling. Right? So on the one hand, you can be super confusing, <laughs> or on the other hand, you can be not compelling. Right? If you're just constantly explaining, explaining, oh yeah, this is how I believe the world works, this is what I believe about Jesus and what I believe about God, but it has no disrupting power in the, in the world as we see it. it, doesn't actually, nothing changes, your life isn't changed, your family's not changed, the way you conduct yourself doesn't change, there's no disruption, but you're offering lots of explanations, that's not compelling to anyone, right? And I, and I am confessing that to you as someone who I think lives more in that space right? So I want us, as I look at Acts, as I look at how Peter and John walked about this scene, I want us to be both. I want us to be people who walk confidently into the world in such a way that it disrupts the world because we, we operate in a fundamentally different way that it, 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 it doesn't cooperate. It's like oil and water, right? The kingdom of God pushes out the kingdoms of the world. I want to, I want to walk in such a way that that disruption just, it happens. I want to be so aware of the spirit. I want to be so renewed and so confident in the name of Jesus Christ that that disruption happens. But I also want to be ready to offer explanations for it as it happens. And I want us to be that community. Imagine that force, the force of that combination in the city of Portland and the surrounding area. Like what if we as a community are a community of holy disruption and holy confident explanations, <laughs> Right. What a powerful thing that is. And I think that's precisely what we see happening in the book of Acts as that community grows. So I'm going to offer um, a closing uh, exhortation, challenge, prayer. I don't know what word I would use. But last week, Jordan challenged us to pray, Lord, make me acutely aware of your spirit as we go about our days. Make me acutely aware of your Holy Spirit. I want to continue I want to continue to challenge us to pray that as a community and I want to add to that on top of make me acutely aware I want to add to that a prayer make me ready make me ready to live into a holy disruption and ready to explain it to a watching world make me ready God to live into a holy disruption even if that's uncomfortable and make me ready and confident to explain it to a watching world what a powerful combination if we can be a people who are aware of the spirit in a tangible way, ready to disrupt the world as it functions in the status quo, and ready to then explain that and invite repentance, invite people to follow the author of life. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll transition to communion. So if those of you who are on the LT could come down while I'm praying, um, we'll get ready, uh, get ready to serve communion. Uh, pray with me. Lord, we confess your name this morning as the author of life, the righteous one, who willingly even walked into condemnation to, to wake us up to the reality of your Father's love. Um, so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your work this morning. As we take, prepare to take communion, Lord, I pray that we would be made aware, acutely aware of your spirit and your presence. And I pray that we would be people who would be ready to disrupt the world and ready to explain it as we go about our lives. Lord, would you renew us, renew us as a community, renew us individually, renew our families um, as we go about this. And as we take this communion, Lord, I pray that we would be keenly aware of the broken body and the spilled blood 
that sealed this covenant, that opened up this hinge of history that Ethan talked about. Would you make us keenly aware of that and thankful and grateful for it in your presence among us? In your holy name we pray. Amen.